Okay, you guys, welcome to the Dad Presents Podcast. We're here spreading love and liberty to all you beautiful people. This podcast is brought to you by sheathunderwear.com. Use code word DAD for 20% off your order of the sleekest, sexiest underwear on the planet. On today's show, we have Angela McArdle coming up in just a minute. She is the chair of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party. She's running for national chair, and she is a freaking firestorm of energy. You're going to love her. Uh, but before that, school is is rolling up. A lot of places have started school already. Out here, we're starting next week. And uh, our kids out here, they're going to be fully masked, mandatory masking. And I'm pretty sure within a couple weeks that they're going to shut down the schools completely because of that super duper dangerous Delta variant. And then we got the Lambda, Lambda Chi or whatever it is, hot on the tail of of Delta. So it's just chaos out there. I expect them to shut down the school. And honestly, I think it's for the best because guys, freedom is dangerous. If there's one thing I've learned in the last year, it's freedom is dangerous. In fact, freedom is so dangerous that I think we need to go full North Korea on these kids. Really full North Korea, make them wear masks, put them in bubbles, Put them in full-on bubbles. Don't let them talk to each other. Just, no recess, no playtime, no time to socialize. Make them just sit there and read all day, all day long, read. No, no. Scratch that. They shouldn't be allowed to read because reading gives you knowledge and knowledge is freedom. And as we've already established, freedom is dangerous. So just send the kids to school eight hours a day and I don't know, make them walk around the playground uh, looking for bugs so they have something to eat at night, ultimately, when our economy collapses, which it's going to do. But not because of bad money practice. It's going to collapse because of white supremacy and the environment. The same two things that cause every ill of our society. I saw over the weekend, I saw an article in Atlanta, right? There's this mother and she's upset and she's upset because they're starting to segregate schools in her school district. And she doesn't want her, her black baby to be in a classroom with just all black kids. She would like them to be in, in a classroom, with you know, a mixture of kids. And uh, all I can think is, what the fuck is wrong with this lady? I mean, of course we can't let black children and white children in the same classroom together. Do you have any idea of the massive collateral damage to society that could happen if black kids and white kids mingle and became friends? What if they, what if they fall in love and get married? What if they fall in love and get married and make babies? How are you going to tell which babies are black and which ones are white when one of the parents is black and one of them's white? Then we got a real problem. Which brings me to the next obvious question. My kids are mixed race, right? So what am I supposed to do with these kids? Which classroom are we supposed to put them in? Should we build a, a separate classroom for mixed race kids like we've done for trans people in bathrooms? Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe we should go like, I don't know, remember happy days when uh, Ralph Mouth and Potsy got an apartment, they drew a line down the center of the apartment, and they had to keep to their side of the apartment. Maybe we do that in the classroom, a line right down the middle, Asian kids on one side, white kids on the other side, black kids in the back, no black kids in the front, can't put the black kids in the back, Mexicans in the back, no white kids in the back, we'll figure it out. 
But mixed kids sit right on the line. So my kids can keep one foot on the white side and one foot on the Asian side. Now, I don't know what you do about kids who are like white, Asian, and black. Maybe maybe they have to go to school and they don't sit at a desk. They're on all fours so they can keep one limb in each quadrant. I don't know. Or, or maybe we just go like, straight old school, like Jesus Christ days, like they used to do with the lepers. You find a leper in the community, they would send them to their own island. Maybe we need an island for the mixed race babies. I really don't know, guys. All I know is I want to do the right thing for society with my children. So I know the super woke wokesters of Twitter will figure this out. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. They'll educate me and then I'll do the right thing. All I know is that I'm white, so I'm part of the problem because white supremacy is the biggest problem in this. No, it's not the biggest problem. I'm sorry. Freedom is the biggest problem in this country. White supremacy is the second biggest problem in this country. Or is white supremacy and freedom, are they synonyms? I don't know. But I learned another thing this weekend. I was listening to a podcast. That's another thing. Podcasts like this one and like the one I was listening to, podcasts need to go. Too much freedom on podcasts. You can say whatever fucking damn thing you want on a podcast and the FCC can't regulate it. That's dangerous, man. We can't just have people sharing ideas. Ideas are dangerous. We need to shut down podcasts. Anyway, I'm listening to this podcast, and what I learned is that 80% of the world's orchestras are composed of only white people. In 2021, can you believe that? And the way that they judge these musicians is unbelievable. They put them behind a curtain so that the judges cannot see their skin color or their gender, and they just listen to them, and they judge them only on how they sound. What? That is so racist it's so racist guys look you need to judge people by the amount of melanin in their skin that's the only way we're going to reach true equality true equity the only way to end racism is to start judging people by the color of their skin facts people and and along with the music theme right my my children they're into the hip-hop music as i am or or as I was before I learned that that's wrong it's appropriation you got white kids all over this country listening to rap music bonding with with black children over this music appropriating their music you got white kids eating tacos you got white kids in dreadlocks you got white kids just stealing culture all over the place and this is bad Number one, you got white kids taking their allowance and going to the store and buying albums from black artists, sending their white money into black communities, right? Just just dirtying up those black communities and polluting them with their dirty white money. And number two, we can't, everybody knows appropriation is evil because what you're doing is you're getting to understand somebody else's culture. 
You're getting to understand someone else's culture, which brings you closer to them, and you start to share a bond, and then cultures start to bleed together, and and we develop a melting pot of cultures. And that's dangerous, because if we have a melting pot of cultures and of skin colors, then we can't keep the bloodlines pure. And if you're woke, you know that's a bad thing. That's a very bad thing. Maybe the worst thing. Right? We can't have it. White kids should only be allowed to buy country music. Only listen to country music. Only buy it. And the last thing I want to talk about, I want to just touch on it before we get into it with Angela. Uh, I'll definitely talk about it with Angela because she's from California and, and we have an election coming up here in California. And number one, I'm very grateful that they're mailing ballots to everybody because I do not want to go to a ballot box and risk getting the Delta variant and, and voting. And number two, I'm super glad that they're not requiring IDs when you mail in a ballot because that would be racist. How else am I supposed to walk around the neighborhood and get all the ballots from all my elderly neighbors and mail them in for them and maybe vote for them if they require ID? Old people, black people, they can't get IDs. This is what I've learned. It's racist. So number one, very happy about that. Number two, we got to reelect Gavin Newsom. Say no to the recall. Say no. You must say no. I mean, not only did our beautifully handsome governor do an amazing job from the French Laundry restaurant legislating and making sure that none of us abused our freedom and went out to dinner and spread COVID to each other. Not only did he protect us from COVID, not only was he brave enough to sit in that restaurant without a mask and create laws that we could not go to a restaurant without a mask. That, I mean, that, that is hero stuff right there. But look, only he can fix California. I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to elect a racist like Larry Elder? You can't elect a racist like Larry Elder. You're going you're gonna to elect a, a transphobe like Kate and Jenner? No. We have to elect the rich white guy who was born with 17 silver spoons in his mouth and all of the world's knowledge because only that rich, entitled white man can understand the plight of the poor minority communities in Los Angeles. So vote no on the recall, guys. All right, we are going to get into it with Angela. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is the expatmoneyshow.com, hosted by Mikhail Thorpe. It's a great podcast. It's every Wednesday, new episode drops. Guys, I listen to it every single Wednesday. I absolutely love it. You guys know me and my family, we are considering expatriating from the country. So we learn a lot of stuff about different countries, travel tips, how to protect our money, how to avoid unnecessary taxes if we do live abroad. Wonderful, wonderful show. If you're on Facebook, check out the Expat Money Forum it's a great discussion place to, to talk with other travelers and get travel stories. Great podcast. Please check it out. If you go to the website, please tell Mikkel, Matt from The Dad Presents sent you. All right, guys, spreading love and liberty. Let's get into it with Angela. 
Okay, guys, we are here with Angela McArdle. She's a force for freedom. She's the chair of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party, and she's now running for national chair. Uh, Angela, we tried this yesterday, and because obviously the government hates freedom, they shut down our power halfway through. I appreciate you coming back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, the funny thing is that happened uh, once before to us, and it was in the middle of an interview with Gene Epstein. I, I've, I mean, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but it seems like they really don't like people who bring the, the liberty message. Right, right. Funny you would mention him. I, I can't say it soon. Or I, I can't say it yet, but I have another Soho Forum debate s- scheduled. We're waiting on Gene to announce it. So everybody look for that. That's coming. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love the Soho Forum. So yeah, it, uh, listeners, if, if you've not checked that out before, please do so. You get some great debates there. Um, So let's just get into Afghanistan because that's what's on everybody's mind these days. We don't need to spend a lot of time there. But, um, you know, one thing I was thinking about this since we spoke yesterday, and I think I think that one thing people get wrong when they're when they're looking at this is that we were never actually attacked by Afghanistan. And it's the place is barely even like a real country. You know, what I mean, we were, right. we were attacked by a, a small group of rebels whom we armed and trained ourselves. Like every enemy we've had for the last 40 years, seems like previously they were our allies who we gave weapons to and trained. And then the next thing, you know, 10 years later, we're fighting a war against them. And the I'm glad I'm glad we're leaving Afghanistan if we are actually leaving. But one thing that seems like a mistake is we left all our weapons there yet again. I just want to know overall, what's your take on this Afghanistan situation? Man, I don't know what to think yet because we're still in the process of pulling troops out, right? Do we still have about 2,500 troops left in Afghanistan? Yeah. Yeah. 2,500 troops. And they don't even really know how many people like American people are still there. I've heard estimates from like 11,000 to 50,000. So who even knows? So I heard it's, it's so hard to, to figure out what's actually going on because you read the news, but the news is always full of lies or yep. it's, you know, twisted. The last I had read is that Al Qaeda rebels, whatever you want to call them, had taken over the capital and the U.S. was evacuating the embassy. And that was a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. So and, and Joe Biden is sticking by his gun. So I'll give him credit for that, saying that he's going to continue to pull out. It doesn't matter that we, quote unquote, lost the war. We're just not going to be there anymore. So that's fantastic. But uh, do we trust him? Is it is it his call? Is it his administration? Are we just going to start drone bombing the heck out of people after we pull troops out? Like there are so many variables. It's hard to really know where this is going to go. Or we, yeah. And we could easily just, you know, say, oh, no, we didn't about we have to, you know, there's an emergency and send everyone back. So, yeah, yeah, I, I want to be optimistic, but it's just been 20 years of this, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not so I'm not as hopeful. I'm I'm sort of being uh I'm being cautious with my optimism. Yeah, absolutely. Wait and see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it seems like either either there's gonna be some kind of false flag and we're gonna send them back, or maybe they're gonna take the military and, and turn them against the American people for the next round of lockdowns, or uh the the weapons we left behind will be used to get one way or another, they're gonna find a reason for another war. And, and the one thing I find interesting, and I say this all the time to people, like the criticism of this pullout has been almost unanimous by the media from the left and the right. And whenever it seems like the Republican media and the democratic media are in agreement, 
it's it's either war or bailouts and it's pretty much a guarantee that we the people are getting when they agree we're getting screwed yeah yeah that's that's the concern and, and a lot of people are speculating that oh biden will bring the military home to enforce martial law in the united states the I don't know. I haven't read anything like that. It's understandable that people are concerned about it. And we saw, you know, the National Guard deployed last summer over BLM riots. and Everybody had mixed feelings about that. Mm -hmm. Really what we got to address, you know, and come to terms with, I guess, is that American militarism is run wild. It's way out of control and it's too powerful of a force and it Mm -hmm. sucks, you know, and if it's not being wielded improperly against Afghanistan, it's some other country. And now we're afraid that it's going to be turned on us at home. Yeah. We really need to, in the Liberty community, we need to do outreach to people in the military. It's, it's a sore subject for a lot of people. I think we do have a lot of vets in the Libertarian Party and in the Liberty Movement in general. But there's also a lot of contempt and, and hatred towards these people and say, you know, people People view them as part of the problem. And I get it, you know, like, oh, you participated. But if we don't do outreach to them, how do we ever change the situation? Sure. And they participate, but they're good people in the military. They're, 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 they're definitely good people. They're brave people who are willing to stand up for what they put their life on the line for what they think is the right thing. The problem is they're getting bad information and they're being right. misled. They're being lied to. So it's not, it's not the people in the military. It's, it's the, the leadership. And you said it, you said it right there. Um, it's it, the military has become too big to fail. It's become, mm-hmm. it's become too, there's too much money. There's too many jobs. The weapons manufacturers uh, have too big a hold of the government that you can't imagine that the war ended. So now what they're going to just stop, um, you know, we were we were warned about this decades ago. Um, who I, was it? Eisenhower in his speech. Yes. Talking, yeah. So you know, it's he was right, and I don't see it coming to an end. But um, I don't. I'm definitely not an expert there. I I sit back and I I wait to hear what Scott Horton says about it because yep. he's the guy who knows. So that's that's, that's the expert. Yeah. We are we are having some. 9-11 anti-war rallies and across the country on September 11th. And he is speaking at the one in DC. We've also got a big one organized for Sacramento at the Capitol. And I'm working on putting one together for Los Angeles now. So awesome. I want to ask you about some of that stuff in a minute, because I want to find out how I can get more involved and find out about these things before they're over. But let's, let's not go there yet. One thing yeah, I yeah. want to ask you about, given that you are a woman and you're in leadership in the Libertarian Party, um, it seems like, I think most people, when they see that, the, the don't tread on me, the flag, right. Mm-hmm. They associate that with middle-aged straight white men with beards. And it's not, it's not an entirely inaccurate association. feels like most libertarians are middle-aged white guys. So why don't the concepts of liberty and independence resonate with more women? What, what is, what are we doing wrong in that messaging? Well, I'm going to trigger everyone right now. So, you okay. know, just sit with your discomfort, everyone, let it wash over you, and then you're going to be okay at the end. I promise we'll get through <laughs> this together. Women are wired differently biologically, most okay. of them, not all. So, if you want to be that unique exception, I'll, I'll allow you that, female listener. Uh, women are generally wired to be a little bit more nurturing and caring and compassionate, and that is totally okay. 
because women have to take care of children. You have to be pregnant for nine months and take care of an infant. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with, with being wired that way, but it makes stark rationalist, Randy and sounding libertarianism unappealing, mm-hmm. you know, from that, from that perspective. And if we want to get more women in the, in the libertarian party and in the liberty movement at large, we need to champion issues that women care about. And two of those issues that come to mind immediately are medical freedom, because women are very concerned about the health and well-being of their children and uh, food freedom, things like the raw milk community, because there are a lot of women who are really active and passionate about that. Women who want to sell food farm to table, they're, they're pretty involved in, in that, um, in that level of agricultural work, like smaller farms. Mm-hmm. So we just need to care about things that women care about. I mean, right. You'll, you'll find them. We just have to, not all women want to be in the Rothbard armchair club, you know? Sure. I wish they did. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that club and I enjoy arguing about, you know, utilitarianism and Virginia political economy versus Mizzisi and whatever, you know, I'll put everyone to sleep, but, mm-hmm. but we have to realize that that's not most people. Yeah. I, you, I don't think you said anything that should trigger anyone. I mean, yeah, we're, we're there's differences between men and women. Anybody who pretenders not like has has never been in a relationship i would say like there's right. there's definitely differences like uh, this is the dad presents it's we we talk about parenting a lot i've got two kids my wife and all of my friends wives are much better at taking care of the children's needs than are we like i've worked at it i've gotten better at it but they're just naturally better at it like if the, you know if if the kids were left mm-hmm. with me for a month, we'd be eating beer and pizza for a month. You know, it, it would be a bad yeah. situation. So I don't think you said anything that, that should be triggering though in 2021, who, who knows, but yeah, the way libertarians need in general, if they want this Liberty message to catch on, which I think it is, you got to speak to the left from the left. You got to speak to the right from the right. And you got to speak to women from, from where they are. Like that's, you, you don't convince a lot of people by arguing right against them you got to argue with them right so like really basic stuff right make raw milk legal make it so that small and mid-sized farms can sell from the farm to the customer because in most states you have to send your cows off to uh to a factory to get processed and you can't slaughter and sell on your own property really stupid uh make it so that more places can uh, so that like cities, a lot of cities, you can't have chickens in your backyard. That's something that women are really interested in. They think, you know, they, they want to have their own eggs. They want to introduce their children to that whole process. That's another thing. Backyard beekeeping. That was like a big thing in LA several years ago. People were trying to push that through city council. There were a lot of women involved. You have to just see like, what do women care about and jump on that? You know, we should be championing it. And these are, these are really good causes anyway. Like there's no reason to not champion them. Especially if people are worried about economic collapse and survivalism and well, what that's can the I one. Do? That's the one. Like I think, um, I don't know I, the 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 raw milk. I don't know how much that uh, appeals to women. If you if you say it does, I I believe you. But eco- the economic collapse. Um, I found that talking about economics bores almost everybody, and it bores women even more than men. But there's got to be a way to tie that into what you're talking about with the safety of the family and children. Yeah. Like we got we to come at economics from a, a family point of view more so than a, a numbers, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, here, this this disturbs me. Canned food is now a better investment. If you were to have a pile of dollars on your desk and a pile of canned food, which one would be like would maintain its worth in three years? It's the canned food. How sad, you know? That's so incredible. I, That's when true. I, when That's- I talk to people about economics, I try to put it in terms that they really understand, like what's in your pantry. Mm-hmm. And that does, uh, women can relate to that because they're the ones usually doing the shopping. That's that's a good perspective. So canned food is going up in value at the same time the dollar is going down in value. So the canned food is going going up in cost because of inflation. Yeah. Yeah. And canning supplies. Like you can't even for a while there, you couldn't buy them on Amazon. They were so scarce because people were so freaked out. You know, everybody was canning their own food. And mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of women were doing that last year. And you yeah. know, shopping and shopping for groceries, these are things that you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that was uh, as much due to COVID as the economy, but it's starting right. to happen with the economy now. And, um, I had, I had, a a friend actually reach out to me yesterday. This, this, this girl is as left wing as you can get. She's, she's vegan. She's a wonderful person. She's going out and getting her first gun today. So, because she feels unsafe. Right. Um, and that's, uh, that's happening because of the economy that's happening because of uh, policies here in California and, and nationwide. So yeah, getting to that Gavin Newsom, right? Oh Night- man. Mm-hmm. He's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. Um, are we going to be able, number one, to get rid of him? Do you think that's going to happen? And number two, even if we do, is it going to change anything? Okay. So we're really close in the polls and polls are, well, you know, wildly unpredictable, but it's all we've got to go on. Right. So I think we're like two points. I think it was like 45% of people wanted to recall him. Yeah. No, 43% wanted to recall him. And I think 45% did not want to recall him. We're a couple wow, of points according behind. to what poll? I think it, it might've been a Gallup poll. It was, really? it was a very, yeah, it, it wasn't a candidate poll. It was a, okay. it was a quote unquote nonpartisan poll. Okay. I've been, I've been watching the numbers. So, but, but what we're all concerned about is election fraud. There you go. Yeah. So they're all, they're already mailing out the ballots, right? And no idea is required. So they keep talking about how imperative it is that we not challenge elections and their legitimacy. But I mean, how do you trust the results like i could go around my neighborhood i'm surrounded by senior citizens and grab 50 ballots out of mailboxes and vote 50 times like how 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 is it secure you keep saying it's secure but in what way is it secure it's not secure and i don't know if there's a way to make it secure and ballot harvesting is a real problem like it, it sounds you know theoretically going to someone's door who's disabled or a senior helping them fill out their ballot and taking it there's nothing wrong with that but a lot of the people who do ballot harvesting fill out the ballots for the person. They pressure them to vote a certain way. They're aggressive. They take it. And that's not a good system. Mm-hmm. You know, telling someone, oh, no, you need to vote for this candidate. You need to vote, you know, and, and being aggressive and nasty to someone who's, you know, yeah. in a compromised situation. I, right. I don't know what the answer to that is, though. I don't know what to Well, do. isn't the answer just, I mean... I yeah I don't see anything wrong with that either like helping old people great but at least require like a a copy of the ID what is the argument against IDs I, the, I've yet to hear a convincing case against IDs they want ID for everything else like in New York City yep. now you got to carry it everywhere I guess except to go vote like 
What you got to carry it to buy alcohol. You got to use it to rent a car. You got like, the ID argument is so absurd. And, and of course, it's it's generally the bigotry of low expectations. A lot of this stuff, they're screaming voter ID laws are are racist and they hurt black people. And, and, you know, but the counter argument to that is why do you think that black people don't know how to get IDs? It's so I, dumb. I, I think it's a kind of insulting. Well, and super so insulting. Lot, yeah. So do a lot of black people. Understandably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that they're just kind of playing on the the whole white guilt thing there when they say something yep. like that, and and people just don't they don't ask the next logical question, which is well, why why if it is a problem that black people or old people or any people can't get IDs, then the obvious solution is to help them get the IDs, not to get rid of IDs. Right, and then just allow people to provide different forms of ID. Like maybe not everything needs to be a government ID. I'm not crazy about government. How about a debit card and something else? How mm-hmm. about a student ID card, your senior citizen, whatever your your past, like yeah. just two two forms of ID. We should we should be a little more fast and loose with how we use the term ID. It doesn't have to be a driver's license, but something to identify you. Yes, yes, especially because I, I'm suspecting sometime in the near future you're not even going to be able to renew your driver's license without oh. a COVID vaccine. So right. so and then now, what? So then those people can't vote. See, and then we, it, yeah. We've that gotten, seems like that's when they're gonna they're gonna want to enforce uh, IDs to vote once they start allowing you not to get an ID without your vaccine. Oh, I'm sure. And then we're gonna get into this weird uh, dystopian headspace where you don't need an ID, but you need your vaccine card. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the vaccine, right? So I got a robocall. So. <laughs> about getting vaccinated. And I, I work in healthcare, like I'm pro vaccine. I, I've gotten all the vaccines. I've not gotten this one simply because they're pushing so hard, which mm-hmm. gives me pause, but they've tried a media propaganda blitz. They've tried scaring us into getting it. They've tried guilting us. They've tried bribing us. Now it seems like they're trying to annoy us into getting these shots. Um, are, are we headed towards forced vaccinations? Like, is that, oh, yeah. is that coming? Oh, absolutely. That we're definitely heading towards forced vaccination. And California has a nasty history of it with uh, State Senator Pan. So back in 2015, there was a bill called SB 277 that was passed that made vaccination uh, mandatory for kids in public and private school. And it reworked a lot of the medical exemptions and it eliminated all religious exemptions for public and private school. And, uh, and that's the, that's the foundation for all of this. Okay. So before I, 2015, they were not mandatory. They were mandatory, but you could get an exemption you very get an easily. Exemption. Gotcha. You could get, a, you could just basically say, look, I have a religious exemption. My kid has medical concerns. We need a medical exemption. Very easy process. And they made it much harder. So now it's, there are medical conditions where parents and people in the community who deal with it know that you probably shouldn't get a vaccine. If you've got certain autoimmune issues, if, uh, if if you've got brain damage, if you're on the autism spectrum, there are there's the anecdotal evidence and there's plenty of medical evidence that suggests this is probably not a good idea mm-hmm. or you should just space them out, right? So right. all of that, you don't get your exemption for it. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be a really extreme situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, in New York, they're not allowing any exemptions now. Like you're pregnant, doesn't matter. You you have the antibodies, doesn't matter. So when we hear for, when people hear forced vaccinations, they picture uh, someone holding you down and jabbing a needle into you. That might not be the reality, but the reality is like, 
I'm a physical therapist. I cannot renew my license to practice when it expires without getting vaccinated. That's that's forcing me. That's making me choose between my my career and my freedom, right? So that is yeah. forcing you. It's basically be impoverished or homeless or get the shot. Yeah. So that's that's how they're pushing it. You know, they're going to completely push you people out of society. You can't go anywhere. You're a second class citizen. It's not a good look. LA, LA city and LA County are going in this direction. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I follow you on Twitter and uh, you were tweeting about this vaccine passport ordinance last week in LA. And I guess that passed what, what is in it? What does it mean? Okay. So in the city of Los Angeles, we're just talking about the city right now, the County is separate, although they're pushing their own thing. It has been passed into not officially law yet, but they have basically passed an ordinance. It's kind of complicated. They passed a motion to instruct the city attorney to draft up an ordinance to enforce vaccine credentialing. You're going to have to have a vaccination to do any sort of entertainment indoors in Los Angeles to go to the gym, to go to, geez, I don't know about the hospital. They said that they would exempt grocery stores and a couple of other essential things. Oh, how kind. Yeah. So, so this, this passed, so it's not in effect yet, but this, this passed, yes. this is going down. It is happening. So technically I believe they're going to have to vote on it one more time and, and have the same vote, like the same roll call vote, because there were two members who did not vote for it. They were not present. City Councilman John Lee and Joe Buscaino did not vote for it. And John Lee has actually come out and said that he will not be supporting it and he doesn't like it. But it doesn't matter. Two people. John they, Lee. Okay. Yeah, John Lee, he's in the Valley. So the two most libertarian areas in the city of Los Angeles are the South Bay, those communities, and the northern part of the Valley, like the Granada Hills, Reseda area. Mm-hmm. And so those two councilmen didn't vote for it. So they allowed us to prolong it, you know, like another week, I believe the Mm -hmm. city council has to vote on it again. And then they have to come up with an actual implementation strategy so that they can pass this ordinance. So we're looking at a week to two weeks before it's actually written into law. If something delays it, that'll be great. But uh, yeah, so, so my response to this, we had a big protest uh, last weekend. You took a, you took a guillotine. Yes. (laughs) First of all, uh, a woman making her own guillotine, a woman in power tools, very attractive look, but what, what is the message behind the guillotine? Explain that to me. You know, I was just so angry last week that I was like, I'm just literally going to build a guillotine and drag it out in front of city council and threaten you. So I did. What happened? I, I, well, you know, I listened to the city council men vote on this thing and they made, they openly mocked us. Uh, they openly made fun of people who were worried about what they said, so-called individual rights oh, and God. bodily autonomy. They just made fun of us and said that we don't have the right to control what goes into our bodies when it comes to a pandemic and that we have to do it. And yeah, I built, so I built a guillotine in my apartment. <laughs> uh, I drew the specs out so that I could make it a collapsible guillotine, right? It folded up into the back seat of my car. And we dragged out there and made quite a scene and we got some news coverage and got a good clip on channel five news. Oh, no kidding. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I assume you didn't, you didn't have a blade in this guillotine or they would have arrested you. Did it have a, a blade? It did not have a real blade. I okay. painted, I painted a wood paneling metallic silver. Yeah. 
So, you know, it got the message across. It got a lot of attention. Yeah. It seemed, it, it seems like a crazy thing to do, honestly, but we need to start drawing attention to these issues and that's a good way to do it. If we don't, if we don't start getting like we libertarians seem like we have a good corner on the podcast market because that's the only place we can get our voices heard right now, but Mm -hmm. we need to get our message into the mainstream to convince the people who only watch CNN or Fox news, right? Like this, we're at a point now we're at a breaking point with this uh, vaccine passport, in my opinion, if they get this through and they're going to then digitize it, then you're going to start seeing things like social credit scores. You're going to go to the grocery store and they're going to deny you donuts because you're fat and your, your insurance company doesn't want to assume that risk for your diabetes or whatever, just like all kinds of control. Um, it's scary. No matter how you feel about individual rights and freedoms, if you project this out, it's scary and we need to get that message out. So I, I, I applaud the making of the guillotine. Anything we can do to get into the public discourse is a win. So I recommend like a really easy way to start with, if you want to reach people who are a little bit more blue-pilled, for lack of a better term, go to your city council meetings. Most of them are electronic in California, by the way, because of terrifying coronavirus. Get on public comment and start talking about it. Because I announced my protest and the guillotine during uh, L.A. City Council public comment and me and other members of the L.A. County Libertarian Party have been on public comment every day since then, including today. We had we had an officer go on public comment and really rip into them. It's a great way to promote liberty. It's a great way to promote whatever you're doing, get announcements out. I don't know that you're ever going to reach these CNN types. Mm-hmm. But, but let's, but we let's, have to let's hold on because I just wrote that down because this, this is this is something that like I want to get more involved. I, I do the podcast. I sometimes I go to school board meetings, but I want to get more involved. And it seems like I find out about a lot of stuff after it happens. Mm-hmm. How, do, how can we find out? Like how do, tell people, how do you get to your city council meeting? How do you know when they're happening? How do you how do we find out about pro, like the protests you you had? Right. How do we find out that these are happening? How can we get involved? Okay, so you go to lacity.org to find out what's going on with the city. And then there's a there's a little link where you can click for the meeting schedule, but they have meetings generally Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 10 a.m. And there's a call-in number, so you can call in. Uh, it's just basically Zoom, and you get one minute for public comment. So you want to... Okay. You want to Google before you before you launch into your you know manifesto. Make sure that what you're saying time it so that it's under a minute so that sure. you don't get cut off. That's really important. If you want to find out what's going on with the LA County Libertarian Party, you can look us up at lplac.us. That's our website, and we try to post notifications about everything. Okay. I will do both of those things. And, and there's people, you know, from all over the co- country who listen to this, um, they can do the same for yes. their cities, right? They can look into city council. And also like if you're in another state, you might be bored by this talk about LA, but it seems like how LA and New York go. So goes the country yes. a year or two later. So it's important. It's important on a national level. Yes. What we do here has a serious, a tremendous impact on what happens in the rest of the country. Like it's, we're the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and as our economy continues to disintegrate and 
and, you know, we're like rats bailing on a sinking ship. You know, we are, are sadly, the people who live around us are going to flood other communities. And these are the policies that they're bringing to you. Yeah. So be yes. vigilant. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people moving to Texas, Florida, uh, Tennessee, and the biggest complaints in all those places are it's always don't bring your California politics yep. here. But, but that's exactly what's happening. Um, in addition to a lot of, uh, I don't know, illegal immigrants. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word anymore, being shipped into those communities. Like it, they're, those communities by the next election might be blue, right? Well, Arizona has turned purple mm-hmm. as, as Californians have moved into Arizona and other progressives and left-leaning people. And there, you know, there are some progressive policies I like, like I want, yeah, drug, decrim- I want drug decriminalization. I think 100%. that's really important. 100%. Uh, I, I don't want to tax the rich, whatever that means, you know, uh, whatever rich means. I don't, I don't want to see things like that happen. I don't want to see mandatory vaccination policies. So yeah. Okay. So there you go. You'd like some policies on the left. Me too. The drug war being the biggest one body autonomy. Another one, even though that might not be a left leaning issue anymore. It seems like, I, I feel like 10 years ago, we, uh, the Liberty movement aligned more closely with people on the left when we were mm-hmm. talking about gay marriage, marijuana and whatnot. Now it seems like it more closely aligns with people on the right. So lib- people look at libertarians now, whereas they used to think, they were liberal. Now they think they're conservative. Neither is the truth. We just believe in freedom. And I, I divide people by, do you believe in freedom or not? Like, lib- like liberal and conservative are pretend words at this point. Um, but we need to speak to the people on the left. Like right now, it seems like the right largely agrees with us. We need to speak to people on the left and, and that's it. The drug war, body autonomy, those kind of things. Like we're not hitting those messages enough. Correct. We're definitely not. Um, And it's a challenge too. like, where do we even go? Where do you, how do you begin? How do you message to people who really hate your guts? Because a lot of them are, they're not fans of ours and they don't, they're, they're tough. They're tough to do outreach to, but it's not impossible. And I think that if we want to see a freer world in our lifetimes, we have to do the hard work. And that means reaching out to them. Yeah, absolutely. I try to target what I call the heretical left, which are people who are, you know, they're not economically libertarian, but they believe in free speech. So they've been cast out by their democratic and progressive friends. I I try to go after people like that. People who question the lockdowns, even if they're not totally on board with us, they question it. They're willing to ask questions. Those are the people on the left that we need to target. Mm -hmm. People who are really far left. I don't bother um, I don't bother with messaging to them. I just want to wait until opportunities arise. Yep. You know, use your time wisely. Yeah, pick your battles, right? That's what my dad told me before I got married. Choose your battles wisely. <laughs> and it, it, the same goes in politics. Um, yeah, so like the the Glenn, you know, guys like Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, these are these are classic yeah. liberal guys who are two of the biggest assets for for the liberty movement right now. Um, that's the kind of people that we need to to bring into it. Right. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So back, back on LA, uh, homelessness, right. So I was in, I was just in, in Venice maybe two weeks ago and I, I couldn't believe it. It'd been five years since I was there. Like it's a, it's a dystopian nightmare down there right now. Um, is there a libertarian solution? Is there any solution to the homelessness situation in California? There is no one size fits all solution. We need to 
start by ending a lot of the entitlement programs. And so, so explain to people, I agree, but people hear that and they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You want to stop giving money out. How does that help people? Like go through how that actually helps with the problem. Cause that sounds counterintuitive. So I've actually spent several years volunteering in Skid Row in downtown LA, uh, feeding and befriending and just generally ministering to the homeless community. So I don't have any contempt for people who are homeless. They have their own community too, and I respect that, and I want what's best for them. But what is not best for people is promising them handouts and then not giving them. It creates this incentive for people to move here across the country and for other states to dump their homeless population on us. And I, I mean, they, they literally do that. There are lawsuits mm-hmm. that you can look up where people have shipped on Greyhound buses, homeless and mentally ill people to Skid Row. It's, oh, yeah. it's an awful thing to do. So That's been ending, happening since like the 80s. Yes, too. Yeah. yes. Ending those programs will stop that. That will be helpful. We also have really long wait lists for people to get into SRO housing, stands for single room occupancy. But really what it is, is this tiny little studio apartments. Some of them have their own bathrooms. Some of them are shared bathrooms and they're in high rise, uh, semi high rise buildings in Skid Row. And everybody gets on a wait list who's homeless, who wants to get into one of these to get a free apartment. But the wait lists are, you know, four years usually or or four, nine years in areas like Santa Monica. And so people just camp out homeless and wait and wait and wait. And they have no incentive to better their lives or try to do anything else. In fact, they're de-incentivized to do that because if you do get a job, then you're kicked off the list. So you don't even have the opportunity. If to you sort of- get a job, you're kicked off the housing waiting list. So you're on a list that takes nine years. And in that period, if you get a job, you go back to the bottom if you lose the job. Yeah. If you get bumped off the list, they, you do anything that gets you off the list. So increasing your income, I think establishing any income. And the lists are different in Santa Monica and LA. But yeah, you you get kicked off you do anything to improve your life. You get bumped off the list. That, so that's the same, that's the same argument as um, uh, paying unemployment. Like they will argue that paying unemployment doesn't stop people from going out and getting jobs. Well, of course it does. And, and, and if you take away someone's place in line to get a house because they get a job, of course that's going to s- prevent them from getting a job. Like right. you get a job so you can get a home. If I get a job and then I can't get the home, why do I want the job? Right. And then once you get into the housing, you can make a small amount of money. This is very small. So it's under a thousand dollars. I think it's under 500. Oh, so but, if you get too good of a job, then you're also kicked out. So, so yeah. So, <laughs> you know, in a perfect world ideal, if this, ha- if I guess it wouldn't be perfect if this existed, but in a better, better world, you would get in the housing, right. And then you would have several months to build up and then like you'd save up right? And then mm-hmm. get a new place, but it just doesn't work that way. So what happens is people get trapped. They, you get trapped on the wait list. You get trapped in this housing. People are terrified. They don't want to you know, improve their lives because they're afraid of being homeless again or losing their yeah. chance to no longer be homeless. It's actually really, I think it's really dehumanizing because of course it, is. it sort of signals to people. And I think it's like $900 a month is sort of the the max that you're allowed to make before you lose everything. 
all benefits of any of any type in in the city of Los Angeles, it's like you're only worth nine hundred dollars a month. Like you can't, you're not. It, does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. We reward we reward um, failure and we reward extreme success. And doing those two things, what it does is it decimates the middle class, and everyone either becomes an extreme success, a very slim part of society, or they slowly sink towards the bottom because yes. that's what's being rewarded. Like incentives matter. You have to incentivize, you have to incentivize uh, trying, you have to incentivize people to improve their own lives and, and work for something. You can't incentivize apathy. But yeah, we do. Yeah. And this is why, and, and I understand from their perspective, this is why a lot of people push UBIs because they think that it's a better alternative to this because then you don't have the de-incentivizing of, of work if we just give everybody free money. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's no such thing as free money. No. But I can at least appreciate that people are trying to move away from seeing homeless and low-income people trapped in this vicious cycle because it's just, it's not good to see people terrified to make more than $900 a month because they think they're going to become homeless. Like, right. It's, well, like the thing is, we, we already have UBI, basically. Like, I just found out we're getting a check for like $200 a month because of our children. Right. So we already have UBI, but the question is, like, do the homeless get it? Because you have to have, you have, to have a bank account to get it. Um, and UBI would, it would help maybe for three to five years. But what it ultimately does is just decreases the value of money. And then we're yeah. right back where we were. So it's yeah. a short-term fix, like all of our fixes, right? The yeah. only, the only long-term solution is a little bit of austerity, uh, austerity, which we need to implement slowly at this point or, or we collapse right. everything. The shock would be pretty, pretty dramatic, but mm -hmm. there are UBI programs that have like pilot programs that have been instituted all across the world. And the only ones that have had any little bit of success were the ones that were pushed by basically private charity. They were not government programs. It, eventually these things all collapse. And mm -hmm. so I, I hope that we can learn that, that lesson, you know, like it yeah. looks, it's less bad than welfare, but that doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And no, we're, we're not going to learn our lesson until, I mean, we've not learned our lesson yet. People need to start, um, the, their lives need to become less easy before any lessons will will be learned. And at that yep. point, it becomes at that point, then have we learned our lesson or will the narrative just blame the wrong things? That's what it's going to come down to. Right. right, people, right. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're running low on time, but a couple other things I wanted to hit up with you. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security Bolton now states that people with grievances over COVID mandates and government restrictions might be terrorists and they're they're encouraging citizens to like tattle on each other now so why are you a terrorist i guess right uh well i guess i'm a terrorist because the government says i'm a terrorist but i i really care about personal and economic freedom you know first and foremost at home but also abroad and if i'm a terrorist because i oppose authoritarianism then i guess i'm a terrorist yeah yeah, um, it really makes you uh, when you when, when you hear heard John Brennan after January sixth yep. uh, lump in all libertarians with potential terroristic threats. It makes you. 
I, now I've always char- challenged this word terrorist going back to 2001, but it's got to make everybody go back and now look at that word and look at people we previously classified as terrorists and wonder what does that really mean? Is a terrorist someone who is bringing terror upon the general population or is it somebody who disagrees with the government? Because it seems like it's the latter nowadays. Oh, yeah. Any wrong think makes you a terrorist. So now it's not your actions, you know, but it's what your peers label you as. It's what you discuss on the Internet. It's really it's really your thought, because when you start policing speech, which is what the government has been doing and what we've seen big tech doing, what it doesn't just want to silence what we communicate. It wants to shame us into not thinking about it. It really is a thought control mechanism and labeling people terrorists for saying and thinking the wrong thing is obviously meant to stress you out and pressure you into conforming to their, you know, thought ideology. Yeah. And two years ago, people would have said, well, there's no way that the government is, there's no way thought crime is going to become a thing. Um, But then they started censoring speech. They've always censored speech, but Mm -hmm. they've really ramped up the censoring of the speech since COVID. And it's, it's here like and, and the way that it's happened quickly in the last year and a half. And I, I like the um, the analogy of the, the boiling frog who doesn't know he's getting boiled as you turn the heat up slowly. But that's right. not actually what has happened in the last year and a half. Like they've turned the heat up pretty quick and people still aren't catching on. Yes, I did anticipate that this would happen in my lifetime, but I thought it would be towards the end of my lifespan, not now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it, it makes me sort of look back in history and wonder, like, where did it where did we take a really scary turn? Like we've had plenty of wrong turns, but what was the point where people started to become like blind and obedient to 9-11, isn't it? Isn't it 9-11 and the Patriot Act? Like, didn't that? Like everybody was afraid and and accepted all this this uh, government oversight. Like that seems to be what it was at least in, in my lifetime. That's what it seems like. I can't think of any other moment in history that compares. I feel like it's it's nine eleven because even with the, with the Vietnam War, people were up in arms over it. They were very angry and yeah. protesting out in the streets, and eventually it dissolved. And it, thankfully, you know that didn't last nearly as long as the war on terror. So yeah. I guess it's got to be nine eleven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can point to a lot of events. You can point to uh, 1913 and the, and the uh, creation of the Federal Reserve. And yep. then you got taking us off the gold standard and then 9-11, like all these things have chipped away at our freedoms. Um, but yeah, it seems like 9-11 is when people were willingly and knowingly giving up freedoms because they were afraid. But what, what you got to understand is once you give it up, you don't get it back without a fight. We're not right. getting that back without a, a fight. It's just not happening. So where do you stand on um, cryptocurrency? Because I, I, that's one thing that gives me hope. Oh, I think cryptocurrency is, is great. I do. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a Bitcoin whale, unfortunately, but I do have a Bitcoin and a few other altcoins. I think that it's going to be a really great tool to help us get off of the dependency of the federal reserve. And if the dollar crashes, we're going to still have a medium of exchange. So mm-hmm. I recommend that people, you know, buy into Bitcoin, even if you can't, you know, I understand that not everybody can run their entire life off of Bitcoin. Some, some people have figured out, you know, how to do it mostly, but just make those incremental steps, get familiar with it if you haven't already. Yeah. Um, I, speaking of people who have done that, uh, I had, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, Justin O'Donnell, I had him on a couple of weeks ago. He's in New yes. Hampshire and he, he does exactly that. He makes all his purchases with Bitcoin. Like in New Hampshire, you can 
you can live off Bitcoin. And I imagine this is a massive threat to government power and they're going to do their damnedest to, to stamp it out or uh, own it somehow. Um, yep. But I'm hoping I'm hoping Bitcoin or some other crypto can maintain its independence from government because that's that's the easiest way to to win this fight without it escalating. Yeah, you can't print Bitcoin into oblivion. So that'll be, you know, that's that's even if the government adopts this currency, which I don't think is a good idea, but they won't be able to print and print and print it because that's just not how Bitcoin works. So that is a really good um, protection against crazy inflation in the United States. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're, I just got one more question because uh, we're almost out of time. I know you got a lot going on and I really appreciate you coming back today. Totally dropped the ball with the power going out. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I started viewing the world only recently in terms of people who believe in freedom and uh, authoritarians, right? I, yeah. no longer, I no longer look at people and say, you're a liberal or you're a conservative. Those words are meaningless. Um, each group seems to believe only in the freedoms that they agree with. Um, my question is, uh, people like you are out there fighting, appreciate you. Um, you're, you're a freedom fighter, right? You're actually out there fighting. Um, but what are our odds? How can we win when we're fighting against the mainstream media, mm-hmm. Hollywood, fortune, all the fortune 500 companies, the federal government, and probably at a bare minimum of half the population? Like what is the strategy? How do we win? We've really got to focus on localization. We're seeing sort of a secession movement in the United States right now. I don't mean the North versus the South or slavery. I mean, states are pulling away from the federal government and saying that they are going to reject things like vaccine passports, that they are not going to follow XYZ laws. Uh, cannabis nullification laws are, an, are a great example. And we're seeing at the county and uh, city level, too. So if you want to protect yourself, get involved in your local politics and make sure that you have people on city council or the county board of supervisors who are going to reject authoritarian power grabs from governors and from the federal government. That's the first step to protecting yourselves. New Hampshire is a great, New Hampshire and Florida are really great uh, examples. Yeah. The governor down there, I mean, I think he's doing a, a great job of fighting back. Um, yeah, like you said earlier, lacity.org, get involved in city council. If you're here in Los Angeles, wherever you are, get get involved with city council. Go to the, go to those meetings. I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself in the next one. I'm gonna take that advice and I'm gonna do it. I do see I do see some hope. I, I've noticed on Twitter, and it's a cesspool, but just in the last week, you had Jack, the CEO, posting anatomy of the state. Yep. Uh, Rothbard was trending. Ron Paul has been trending. Even Scott Horton was trending. None of these things were happening two years ago. So it it gives me some hope. But then on the flip side, you got guys like Rand Paul being banned from, from YouTube. So I don't know. We got a fight ahead of us. And I appreciate you doing what you're doing. Um, where can people get involved with the things you're doing? Where can they follow you? All that. Yeah. Well, I'm on all the social media, right? Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever else is out there. Angela McArdle, you can find me. Uh, if you want to support the work I'm doing and help me build more uh, guillotines, <laughs> you can help <laughs> me out on Patreon. I do have a Patreon and my website with my, with my appearances and my travel schedule is AngelaMcArdle.com. 
Awesome. And you are running for national chair, right? I am running for the national chair position for the Libertarian Party. The national and if, party. Pe- if people want to contribute, are you taking contributions yes. out yet? Where? Yes. You can donate at paypal.me forward slash Angela McArdle, or you can contribute on Patreon. And I have raised the challenge that if I get $2,000 a month on Patreon going, I will chair the party full time. I will not do another job while I'm doing it. Awesome. Awesome. I hope you win. I think you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, good luck. Thanks for having me.